Can I use this as a pulpit? Is that okay with everybody? It's just a bit too high for me, but it's okay. I really want to thank Tini Finley for being so engaged in helping with the Amen program. I mean, these folks believe in evangelism. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a general conference program. It doesn't have to be this or that. They just believe in evangelism. So here you have Mark and Tini and Rebecca all helping you out. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? What a blessing. And, uh, and the message last night. Wow, that was really something. You learned something. Whoever says evangelists just get people excited. They teach you something as well. He's done a lot of study and research, and I certainly learn a lot from that. And his ideas about prayer resonate with my ideas as well. And uh, <clears throat> yesterday, we talked about the much fragrant incense of Christ's life and his intercessions. I noticed this morning as I saw you that you all smell so good for Jesus. <laughs> it's not because of the shower you took, but because the fragrance of Christ's life saturates your life. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I could pastor this church here. We could do a lot of things together. Now, many of you talk to me about this idea of fragrance. Of course, the type of that is in the Old Testament. And the antitype is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have the lamb that was slain, fragrance with incense, as a sacrifice representing Jesus. But on the cross of Calvary, you have the lamb of God. Why would the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians 5 and verse 2, that he was offered as a sacrifice unto God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then Revelation 8, as we studied, that that incense, precious incense, representing Christ's perfect life and intercessions was consumed. For who? For you and me. Even in praying for us, Jesus gives of himself. To me, that's the only real, pray, uh, real way we can pray for people. Away with the memorized prayers. Away with canned prayers. Away with just the formal prayers that bore the angels. If we talk to each other, like we talk to God sometimes, we would not have many friends around. This is the kind of prayer that engages your heart with the heart of Jesus. This is the kind of prayer that makes your heart throb with the heartbeat of Jesus. That's how we become intimate with Christ. Now I want to share with you an experience that gave me a glimpse of Revelation 8 about the much fragrant incense mingling with our tainted prayers. When I was a child... One thing I remember, my mother praying for me. Now, you know, I was only four years old, and I would notice my mother would go to her room, 
and she be talking passionately to somebody in the room. And being a child, I thought she was talking to one of my sisters, maybe my brother, maybe my father, maybe my uncle, I, don't, I didn't know. Somebody was in the room with her. I knew that for sure. You know when somebody is talking to God as to a real person. So after she left the room, I would go in and I would search the room for people. Behind the cupboard, you know, I'd even up in the, close, uh, the closet, I would look behind doors. There was nobody there. It always puzzled me. Who was that mystery man that my brother was talking to? When I got to be five years old, built up some courage, and while she was talking to this mystery man, I would sneak in and see what was happening. And my mother would be kneeling, raising her hands to heaven, tears coming down her face, crying out to God in prayer. Oh, my mother is talking to a real person, the mystery man is our Heavenly Father. What a man to talk to. And I thought to myself, wow, she must be praying about something very important. She must be praying about someone very important. As I listened, lo and behold, she was praying for me by name. Wow, you mean all these days my mother passionately crying out to God. I am the subject of her prayer. Am I that important to her? It made an indelible mark on my life till this day. How much as parents we need to cover our children with prayer? Like Job did. He said, well, my kids are okay. Even if they're okay, cover them with prayer. Trouble is around the corner. I met parents with the best kids who get themselves in trouble because we live in a very very troubled world. My mother continued praying for me. You know, I told you I was born in Syria, south of the biblical city of Antioch, where the followers of Christ were called Christians for the first time. Continued praying for me. I left that part of the world when I was a teenager to come to the United States because of the political uh, uh, turmoil and religious persecution. The Adventist outlawed in Syria. It has been outlawed for many years. It's against the law to be an Adventist. Never allowed to go back. My parents were never allowed to go out, get out. And here, Philip Saman studied in America, you know, got his degrees, was a mission in Africa, I've done many things in my life. My mother never failed to pray for me. Passionately. She ever, I could even use this text to apply to my mother. She ever lived to make intercessions for me before God. And then when I was working the general conference, I got a phone call from some friend in Loma Linda saying uh, that your mother is about to die. And I very much want to go to the funeral, but I was not allowed to because of the political situation. But one thing that brings a smile to my face. By the way, my mother never met my wife, never met my daughter, never heard me preach, never read any of my books. But there are so many things for me to tell her when I see her in the clouds of heaven when Jesus comes. And people tell me, well, how do you have closure? 
I mean, after all, you didn't see, you were not at the funeral. You know, I don't know if psychologically that makes any sense, but I believe the Bible helps with our psychology. Like Mark Finkley was saying last night. You know how, it, how the Bible helps my psychology? The promise of the Bible are true and sure that I look forward. This is my closure. I look forward to see my mother in perfection. When Jesus comes, I'll meet her in the clouds of heaven. I'm looking forward to that because there are many things I want to share with her. My mother died and then my father followed her in death six months later. Within one year, they both passed away. And my father prayed for but somehow my mother's prayers to me were more memorable. But the, the reason I'm sharing this with you, because I'm told, in that part of the world, when somebody is coming close to death, you have what you call a vigil. Not in a hospital, but in a home, where you have all the loved ones and friends around you. And they sing songs and share promise from the Bible. And that's how they say goodbye. And my mother, just before she breathed her last, she started hallucinating. And she began to imagine that finally her son Philip came from America to visit her and to say goodbye. She began to imagine that, I'm told. And as she began to imagine that, she was happy and, and, and she started praying. She started praying for me. And she kept praying for me until she breathed her last breath. My mother's last breath was passionate prayer for me, her son. The glimpse, the glimpse of Hebrews 7.25. My mother, my praying mother, gave me a vivid glimpse of Hebrews 7.25, how Jesus ever lives to pray for us. He lives forever. My mother prayed as much as she could, as long as she could hold on. Even her last prayer was her last breath. My mother gave me a glimpse of the praying Jesus. And she didn't know that, but the book, you have a textbook. I don't know if you know this, I dedicate. And I just like to do this because I want to honor my mother uh, every chance I have. That's why I'm very kind to elderly people. I encourage, I encourage my friends to be very kind to their parents. Take advantage that you have parents and be very kind to them. Dedicated to my beloved mother, whose passionate prayers were my first glimpse of the embrace of the praying Jesus. Now, coming back to America as a teenager, I felt homesick, no culture, no language. It's a big country. Oh, so many resources. And I was taken to see Niagara Falls. Well, for somebody coming from my part of the world, there isn't a lot of water. Even the River Jordan is not very mighty. Niagara Falls. Never seen anything like this in my life. And on the American side, there's a wall. And you look down, and, and there are tremendous spots.
powerful torrents of ever-flowing water. Millions of tons of water flowing. The Lord gave me a glimpse about prayer early on as a teenager. My mother began the process and God continued the process. I tell this in the book, introducing the chapter, how Jesus, I tell the story there about the Niagara Falls, how Jesus prays with us. On page 56. Let me tell you, my friends, as a teenager, feeling homesick, wondering how God was going to lead me, I began to stare. I mean, I mean, just, just below, a few feet from your eyes, there is this tremendous torrent of water flowing every split second, flowing. And I start praying to remind me of God's tremendous power. As I was praying for about 25 minutes, the Lord convicted me with this thought. It's indelible in my mind. And I wrote it here. You know, when I wrote it here, it's just like I delivered a baby, finally. It's here. I'm not caring anymore. It's here. And the conviction he gave me, Philip, I know who you are. You're in the palm of my hand. I know you by name. I know what you're about. I've been, I'm leading you. I'll never leave you or forsake. I know you feel homesick. I know you miss your mother's prayers. I know you miss your mother's prayers. You don't hear her pray for you anymore. But I just want you to know right now. This mighty flow of the Niagara Falls. Been flowing from time immemorial. By the way, God knows about the Niagara Falls. He created it. Has been flowing from time immemorial. Flowing now. Will flow until my Jesus comes. I want you to know right now that the mighty flow of the Niagara Falls represents my son Jesus ever living to pray for you. What? What an experience. I never thought of it that way before. To be honest with you, I totally felt drenched from head to toe with the mighty prayers of Jesus on my behalf. It's an awesome experience to feel being drenched totally with the mighty prayers of Jesus. In fact, later on, I remember we took a boat and we came into the falls and I was praying with us. I said, thank you, Lord, for covering me with the mighty prayers of Jesus. And then the second thought crossed my mind. Dear Lord, these are the prayers of Jesus. These are wonderful. Of course, the mighty ever-flowing Niagara Falls represents Jesus praying for us. That makes sense. I'm all for it. Well, what about me? What about my prayer life? Lord, as I was praying, to me, in comparison to Niagara Falls, my prayer life is just, just like a few droplets of water. That's all. A few droplets of water. When I really feel spiritual, God, it's like a little trickle of water. What do I do with my trickle of water or prayer? And I could hear him tell me. When it comes to praying, take your trickle of water or prayer and plunge it in the mighty flow of the Niagara Falls of Jesus' prayers. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. We all have trickles of water or prayer. 
may be heading in all kinds of directions. In an arid spiritual desert of our lives, arid spiritual desert of this world, go in different directions. A trickle of water or prayer doesn't go very far. Even if it touches the ground, it evaporates, it doesn't go very far. And the conviction came to me. Channel your trickle of water or prayer into the right direction. Channel it into Christ's prayers. Go with the flow. And that's why I'm connecting the much water of Jesus' prayers with the much incense of Jesus' prayers in Revelation 8. In Revelation 8, we know that our tainted, even smelly prayers, spiritually speaking, are to mingle. According to the Greek text, mingle, be mixed with the much fragrant prayers of Jesus. And now this experience with Niagara Falls is so much like Revelation 8. My trickle of water of prayer is to mingle with the mighty flow of Jesus' prayers. So Jesus and I can flow together. And let me tell you something. I trust much more Niagara Falls of Jesus' prayers than my trickle of water of prayer. Why not take advantage of our greatest prayer partner, Jesus? Why not take advantage of that blessing? And so whenever I feel tempted, and I do, we're all human beings, we have our weak moments when we get discouraged, tired, stressed out. Whenever I feel tempted to think, oh, dear Lord, how can I pray to you? You know, my prayer is smelly today. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't smell very good. It's tainted with self. This comes to my mind. Philip, don't worry. You're okay. You're in the presence of God. Help is on the way. Jesus comes and he says, you don't feel adequate. I understand that. That's a good thing you don't feel adequate. You're worried about your taint prayer? Yeah, I do. It doesn't smell very good. Ah, I got the all-sufficient, as much fragrant incense as you need to cover your prayers. My friends, that's the message of righteous by faith in Jesus. And the message of righteous by faith in Jesus should cover every aspect of our lives, including our prayer life. How can we say His robe of righteousness covers us and we cannot say His mighty prayers cover our weak prayers? Let me read you something, page 64, if you want to underline that. Now you got the book, you got to use it. <laughs> I have my students, you know, college students say, you know, Dr. Small, I just don't like to read. But you're in college, but still don't like to read all right. And they save their books to be neat, untouched, so they take to the bookstore to get a refund. <laughs> so I want to make sure my students here don't do that. Look at this wonderful statement, page 64. I'm so thankful for the spirit of prophecy's insights about prayer. The best you can find anywhere. Look what she says. First paragraph from Desire of Ages. He, Jesus, I'm looking at five lines down. He, Jesus, explained that the secret of their success would be in asking for strength and grace in his name. 
He will be present before the Father to make requests for them. The prayer of the humble suppliant. He presents, listen to this, as his own desire in the soul's behalf. As his own desire. This resonates what she said somewhere else. I don't have the page number exactly. She says, he espouses our prayer requests and makes them his own. And he presents them to the throne as his very own prayer request. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? That your prayer requests become the prayer requests of Jesus. Can you believe that? He espouses them. What does it mean to espouse? For the married people here, the ones who hope to get married, what does it mean to espouse? It means to marry. Jesus marries our prayer requests and makes them his own and presents them to the Father as his very own requests. So here we are. He presents as his own desire in that soul's behalf. Every sincere prayer is heard in heaven. It may not be fluently expressed. Please don't worry about this anymore. Don't try to analyze the trickle of water or prayer. It's not very pretty. You know, it's just a trickle. Don't focus on that. Focus on Niagara Falls. You know, so many people tell me, well, I don't know how to pray. My prayer is not pretty. It's fine. It might not be fluently expressed. But if, if the heart is in it, the heart, that's what God cares about, the heart. If the heart is in it, it will ascend to the sanctuary where Jesus ministers and he will present it to the Father without one awkward, one stammering word. And look, I italicize the next, two, the next few words. Why? Because they hearken back to Revelation 8. Look what she says. This lady knew what she was talking about. She said, beautiful and fragrant with the incense of Jesus' perfection. On page 29 of your book, it's an unusual statement. <laughs> People would come to Sister White and say, Sister White, please pray for us. You know, there's something special about a prophet praying for you, right? Dr. Saman, I want you to pray for me. Why? Because I like you. You're my professor. And you like me, you know, I mean, that you are Dr. Saman. I mean, your prayers must be very special. I want you to pray for me, nobody else. They go to Ellen White, you know, a prophet, you know, praying for you. That must be very special. You notice in the quotation there, she says, people come to me. Page 29, people come to me. Asking me, Sister White, please pray for us. So I'm pleased to pray for you. But why not go to Jesus? That's interesting. But why not also go to Jesus, who is there to always pray for you? Now the prayers of Jesus are ever-flowing, ever-flowing mightily, abundantly in behalf of many people. First of all, he prays for his friends. Like everybody is covered, by the way. Nobody is left out. Don't he have a special corner on Christ's prayers? Oh, first of all, he includes his friends like Peter. And then... He prays 
for his enemies. Can you believe it? Have you ever tried praying for your enemies? It transforms your life. God, help me to pray like Jesus. God, help me to enter into the sacred realm of praying like Jesus for my enemies. It will change your life. Jesus on the cross. He prayed for people who are crucifying him. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. Not only Jesus prays for his friends and his enemies, he also prays for the whole human race. The whole human race is covered. Ellen White says, she says, in Christ Triumphant, page 86 and 87, she says, when we pray for people, Jesus, with, listen to this, with his long, you know, this time she, there's another statement about that. She says, with his human arm, he encircles you. This time she said, with his long human arm, he encircles the whole human race. Isn't that something? His prayers cover the whole human race. That's why when I, uh, that's why when I wait at airports, when I wait in restaurants to be seated, I'm not bored anymore. I used to be. I'm cured. Because, you know, I'm a guy who is a man of action. I mean, I always want to be busy. I want to be doing something. I don't want to waste any minute of my time. So before, when my wife would take me to a restaurant and there was a long line, I said, let's just go home. I'm here to eat. I don't want to wait. But now, she's very happy with me. My husband changed. She's very pleased. Because now, I know that Jesus' mighty prayers cover everybody in the world. Including the people waiting in line to be seated at the restaurant. Including people at the airport. So what do I do? I smile. I say, wow, I'm going to have an exciting time. What kind of exciting time? Reading a magazine? Newspaper? No! Work on my computer? No! What do you do for fun? Oh, great fun. Jesus is already praying for all these people around me. I don't know any one of them. Jesus knows every one of them intimately. All I do is go with the flow. I'm not reinventing the wheel of prayer. He's been praying for them all along. All I do, go for the ride. That's all. Take my little trickle of prayer and join it to the mighty Amazon river of Jesus' prayers. It does away with my complaints. Because, you know, whenever I'm tempted, oh, come on, what do I do with a trickle of prayer? How can you complain about not having enough water? When you are floating down the Amazon River of Jesus' prayers, the sheer force of the current carries you along. Why be stuck with a trickle of water when you can be immersed in the mighty waters of the Amazon River of Jesus' prayers? So I just go with the flow. See? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for praying for all these people. I'll even know them. But you know them intimately. And now, I just want to go along for the ride. Do you mind? Oh, no, I don't mind. I've been waiting for you to join me. That's what happens when He placed upon our hearts prayer burdens. And you all know what I'm talking about. This is coming from the heart of Jesus. He got millions of prayer burdens for people around the world. He's praying for 
And he comes to you, now he trusts you. This should affirm you in your faith and says, by the way, I want to entrust you with a burden upon my heart. Like when Dr. Beats calls me to his office, the president of our university, he says, you know, I want you to join me to pray for this person. He trusts me. Jesus trusts us. And he gives us a burden to pray for somebody. And so, here, I start praying. Well, I'm thinking of a particular incident, actually. Atlanta. Mechanical trouble. Flight is delayed. People get frustrated. Oh, I don't know if it's mechanical trouble or not, you know. Man, this airline is no good, and they delayed me last night. You know, people talk about this petty stuff. And Philip Samad transcends that whole environment and by the grace of God sits with Jesus in high places. You know, Jesus, do you see what these people are talking about? Yes. We better pray. Huh? That's right. I start praying with Jesus. I say, Lord, I'm available here. Place a burden upon my heart. If there's somebody here who needs to know you, work it out. I mean, trickle of water doesn't do very much, but the Niagara Falls cuts a path in the rock. Amazon River cuts a path in the desert. Makes a big difference. Let's make a big difference together, Jesus. And so, after I finished praying, the Lord impressed me to talk to a lady. Now, usually I don't talk to ladies like that. Because she was extremely beautiful. You know, I'm a little guy, doesn't have much hair. I mean, I just don't talk to beautiful women like I mean, she could have been Miss Georgia, for all I know. But now you're with Jesus. And Jesus is the most beautiful person in the universe. If you're in an audience with Jesus, you can talk to a lady from Georgia. It's okay. <laughs> no trouble. Because Jesus and I were talking to her. We're praying for her. Now we're talking with her. And I heard her finishing a phone conversation. Oh, you know, I, I, just, I just hate flying. Oh, it's a terrible thing to fly. I wish I didn't have to fly. And now there's mechanical trouble. Maybe I should just cancel everything and come home. So I approach her. And by the way, I, I didn't say, but, uh, did, you, uh, did you win the contacts for running for Miss Georgia? No, no. Uh, uh, you ask very simple, open-ended questions. I said, the first question, I said, how do you feel about flying? Oh, I hate flying. I just hate flying. Oh, really? You hate flying? Now, why are you flying then? See, if you, if you talk to strangers, ask a very open-ended, safe question, cozy question. After all, after that, you don't have to memorize any questions. Don't memorize any questions. Why? Because if you listen carefully to the answer they give you, they put questions in your mind. And this way you can follow a path to their heart and you can win their trust and confidence. That's Christ's method of reaching people. So I said, oh, you hate flying, right? Yes. So what's the next question? You know, do I kind of uh, change the subject? Say, well, you know, don't worry, it's okay. See you around. Oh, you hate flying. Oh, I hate it. That's fine. So if you hate flying so much, why do you fly? See, I'm interested in her and how she feels. Why do you fly that? Well, I have to fly once in a while because I'm a medical doctor. Oh, by the way, I just thought of the story because I guess it's about you. You're a medical doctor, see? So that should fit. 
I'm a medical doctor. And once in a while I have to attend some conventions. I'm going to Chicago. You know, and I hate to do it, but I have to do it once in a while. Oh, what's your specialty? They say she's a medical doctor. What's the next question? What's your specialty? I don't have to memorize that. If I memorize questions, it would not fit that person. Like when I was in Dakar, Senegal, you know, as a missionary, and we memorized the fourth thing, you know, F-O-R-T, family, occupation, religion, and testimony. Well, it doesn't always work, you see. It doesn't always fit everybody. I tried it on this Muslim man. And, uh, and, you know, I was supposed to give a Bible study on Sabbath. So I said, let's just break the ice by talking a little bit, chit-chat about family, you know, 10 minutes and we'll have the Bible study. So would you please tell me about your family? He said, oh, you want to know? He introduced me to his four wives, the oldest to the youngest. And he described each one of them. I was looking at my watch. And then he introduced me to his 23 children. <laughs> Especially he emphasized how important the boys were. Oh, the, the sons were very important in the Muslim culture. You got to have sons. Daughters are okay. But sons are much more important. Would somebody say amen here? No. <laughs> and he took about an hour and 55 minutes. Two hours. <laughs> Wiped off my Bible study. He looked at me and he said, Okay, now how about you? Because <laughs> they're very reciprocal. They want to take it. He said, well, How many wives do you have? I just said, you know, it was speaking in French. You said, une. You said, une, deux, trois. Quatre. I said, no, une, seulement, une. C'est tout. See, that's all. He said, poor man. In French, he said, he said, le pauvre, poor man. A second question came. Well, how many sons do you have? Of course, I have only one child that's a daughter. I'm very proud of her. To me, she's like 12 sons, you know. Well, how many sons do you have? And he began to count. He had faith in me beyond my accomplishments. <laughs> and he began to count in French. You know, une would be the feminine for, you know, a girl. Un. Un, you know, means a man, a son. Un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq, six. He said, no, no, une, une. He said, un, deux, trois. I said, no, seulement une. Une fille, c'est tout. You mean, you only have one wife? A woman? And now you have a, a girl? You don't have any boys? No. The man began to recite the Quran for me. In prayers. <laughs> for five minutes reciting prayers from the Quran. For God to help me. <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. Why did I tell you the story? <laughs> Oh, 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 we go back to the airport. Okay, okay. Senegal, go back to the airport. Atlanta. Yes. So, so you see then, you ask questions to follow a path in somebody's heart. You don't only follow Christ's example in praying, you follow Christ's example in witnessing. He's not only my greatest prayer partner, he's my greatest witnessing partner. And the Bible links prayer with witnessing. Ellen White does the same thing. There's a linkage there. 
You know what Jesus said in Matthew 9? He said, the harvest plentiful, labors are few. Therefore, he said, pray. There is a link between prayer and working with the harvest. Say, Lord, I want to answer desire of Jesus' heart. That's a good way to pray, isn't it? I want to answer desire of Jesus' heart. I want to be a laborer. Today, help me to be a laborer. I want to answer your desire. Anyway, so then the other question I ask her, uh, what's your specialty? Oh, she said, my specialty is cosmetic surgery. I don't know if anybody is a cosmetic surgeon. I said, you know, I know many, many friends who are medical doctors. I don't know if anybody with that specialty. Is there anyone here with that specialty? You, you make people look beautiful? I mean, no, Dr. Chung is into, into that. He, you are? What's your name? I'm so glad to meet you. <laughs> so you look so beautiful. Anyway, do you know I knew Grace when she was 16 years old in Loma Linda when she first came from the old country? I had not seen her since then. And that was only 10 years ago, wasn't it? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) It's just wonderful to see you again. We spoke Arabic together. And uh, that was, that was, I just let me say this was many years ago. Many, many years ago. And it's amazing to see her again. And so, Anyway, she had cosmetic surgery. I said, oh, well, I don't know my friends who are cosmetic surgeons. I said, you know, could you tell me something about your work? See, I'm talking about her, not me. I'm the salt of the earth. Salt mingles with the food. If somebody invites you to eat a meal at their house, you don't focus on the salt. See, by the way, Mrs. Smith, I really want to thank you for your wonderful salt. We don't talk about salt. We focus on the meal. We're the salt of the earth. We're the salt of people. Salt is self-effacing. So anyway, uh, could you tell me something about your work? You know, what do you do? She said, well, I just, you know, make people look better. It's very rewarding to me to make people look, look better. I said, well, give me an example. She said, well, you know, there is this mother who was getting ready for the wedding of her son, and she wanted to look her best. And so she saved some money and came to me a few months before, and we pushed and shoved and talked and, you know, Pull things around, and she looked really good, and she felt like she had a new East on life. And, and, and that was wonderful. I feel my work is very rewarding. I didn't know where I was going with this, the Holy Spirit, but I was just simply, you know, just, just following a path in her life. And I said, by the way, by the way, do the same patients come back the second time? Yeah, once in a while they come, you know, after so many years. Things begin to unravel a little bit. <laughs> Things begin to shift out of place. <laughs> this is a condition of humanity, my friends. Without Jesus, things shift around. <laughs> and you know, they come and we would push and shove and cut and you know, pull things around and we hold people up a little bit for a few more years. I said, I'm so sorry to push this question further. You know, I don't know what I'm asking, but I'm just curious. Does the same person come the third time? I never planned it. It just came to my mind. The Holy Spirit gave me this question. Come this, the third time? She said, no, not really. Never had the experience. Why not? Why not? That was the opening the Holy Spirit was giving. Remember, I was praying with Jesus. Niagara Falls was flowing. Niagara Falls does things that are impossible to do, humanly speaking. Why not? I insisted. Sir, 
you seem to be quite curious. I mean, why not? What do you mean why not? Because, because I mean, I mean, after after so many years, there's not much to work with. <laughs> you know, things. <laughs> oh, thank the Lord that Jesus is coming, in a twinkling of an eye, He'll transform our lowly, ugly body into His glorious, beautiful body, and then grace will be out of business. Say amen to that. I said, she, she said, sir, there's not much to work with. I mean, I mean, you know, why? Because she said, they shrivel up. They just shrivel up. Yes. They shrivel up and die. In a sudden die. They just shrivel up and die. And there was silence there. That is the truth of humanity. That's the destiny of man. Without Jesus, I don't care how pretty we are. I don't care how rich we are. I don't care how many degrees we have. I don't care how, how high of a position we acquire. Without Jesus, we all shrivel up and die. That's all. And she begins to be sad. And I was sad. So to kind of, to kind of lighten things up a little bit. She had a great sense of humor. She said, sir, why are you so curious about this anyway? I mean, let me look at you. She had a sense of humor. Let me look at you. So you look at me like this, from this side, by the way, you know, where my nose can show. She said, let me tell you something. You need a lot of help yourself. (laughs) That's what she said. Well, I said, you know, I tried to learn the southern dialect. Well, I said, you are absolutely right. Lord, help me with this. Jesus is praying for me. Niagara Falls is flowing. I mean, something seemed to be happening. I don't know where to go with this. And then the Holy Spirit gave me the right words at the right time. I said, you are absolutely right. I humbled myself. You are, I need a lot of help. I look ugly. Miss Universe looks ugly. Mr. Universe doesn't look that great. Even you yourself, ma'am, with all due respect to you. I didn't say you look ugly. I said, you don't look that hot. <laughs> compared to, with the, without any comma, just quickly. Compared to how Jesus, our divine physician, cosmetic surgeon, what he'll do when he comes in the clouds of heaven, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, in a split second, he'll transform our ugly bodies into his glorious, beautiful body forever. To live in perfection. Oh, wow. I didn't plan on that. <laughs> she looked at me. She said, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I don't know my Bible. I don't believe in God very much. I haven't thought about God very much. Is this true? Is it in the Bible? Yes, it is. Show it to me. I pulled out my little Bible. I showed it to her. She said, I tell you something. If I believe this, it will impact the way I practice medicine. I'd be able to give people hope beyond shivering up and dying. Are there more texts in the Bible about the coming of Jesus? Yes. So because, you know, I mean, look, we sweat the little stuff before, before the Lord gave me this experience. I'd be sweating little stuff. How come the plane is not leaving? I cannot wait five more minutes. This is silly stuff. This is a divine appointment. Thank God the plane was delayed. Because we have an audience 
with Jesus in the atmosphere of heaven. And you see God is at work. God is for real. My friends, God is for real. Show the different texts. Different texts from the Bible. I still have some time. Okay. Different texts from the Bible about the coming of Jesus. I'm going to see my father and mother when Jesus comes. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Oh, they were shriveled up. Oh, my mother couldn't see the pictures we sent her. Some pictures I got, my mother looked really old with all the persecution and suffering. Now when I see my mother in the clouds of heaven, she'll be as beautiful as Eve. Isn't it wonderful? I'm not so much into looks, but even me. I'm going to look like a handsome dude. I, I tell this to my wife, and she smiles. You know, she looks forward to that. <laughs> I mean, she loves me unconditionally. You know, that's why I don't mind like going my hair over. You know, some people do that. And she says, "I like you the way you are." She just likes me. But can you imagine when Jesus comes? I'm going to see my father and mother in perfection. Here, time passed by. This one was excited. Now, her beauty did not intimidate me. Now, I was seeing God at work. She was just like a regular human being. And then, they called us. We're to board now. And, you know, being a frequent flyer, they called me first. And I said, well, you're not finished with the study. She said, I want to know more. I said, well, you know, get to go and... And, you know, I prayed the Lord, the seed I planted. May somebody else water it in her life. And I went and sat on seat 32A. I like to sit by a window always. And I was praying for this woman. You know, reading a book. I forgot about it for a while. I was thinking about other things. And then I looked ahead and this woman was walking through the aisle. She didn't know much about flying, so she was looking at the boarding pass and checking to see everything, you know. But this is her seat. And then she came by me. And she looked up. She said, I cannot believe it. My boarding pass says 32B. I'm sitting next to you. Shall we continue the Bible study? <laughs> my friends, that's a divine appointment. Believe me, it's a divine appointment. This is not Philip Saman trickle of prayer. This is precisely Niagara Falls of Jesus' prayers. Only Niagara Falls can do stuff like that. Droplets of water, don't do this stuff. I said to God, I couldn't believe it. I said, this is a divine appointment. God let you to come. She said, you know, I'm beginning to believe in God more. This is a miracle. This is what I need in my life. All my degrees, all this, all this, leave an emptiness in my heart. I need God to fill that vacuum. Tell me more about this great physician, Jesus. We talked all the way. I was heading to Sacramento. She was heading to Washington, D.C. We're going to Chicago. And I could tell she was smiling more and more. Peace of God was flooding her life. And she said, the plane is going to land Chicago. Could you please pray? Pray for me. I need God in my life. Now, I think we're kind of noisy because we're excited about dialoguing about prayer, about the second coming of Jesus. And we didn't realize that we were a bit noisy, her and me. And I prayed for her an earnest prayer. From my heart, I gave myself to Christ. 
And then, and then, I, you know, before that she said, you nobody ever prayed with me for me before. What am I supposed to do? I said, just bow your head, close your eyes, that's all. She did that. And I finished praying for her. I opened my eyes and she still had her head bowed and closed eyes. So I thought maybe I should have given her better instructions that when you say amen, you know, that you, you know, it's finished. And I <coughs> cleared my throat and pretended I was coughing. No! And the thought crossed my mind, maybe the Spirit of God wants you to pray. So bow your head and shut up and just start praying for this woman. He's not through with her yet. So I bowed my head and I started praying silently and this woman started praying. The most beautiful prayer. Eloquent prayer. Opening her heart to Jesus saying, Lord, thank you for sending this man. I, I have this emptiness in my life. Lord, I'm a cosmetic surgeon. It's so wonderful to know you are the divine cosmetic surgeon. This hope that what you will do for us human race with all our problems when you come. And she invited Christ to come into her life. And the glow of heaven fell upon her face and she even looked more beautiful than before. Inner beauty that comes from the peace that comes from the heart of Jesus. Now after we finished praying, Some of the flight attendants came to her and said, by the way, is, is, is it okay? I mean, is he bothering you? you know, I mean, like, we all this commotion. <laughs> she said, no, it's Jesus who's been bothering me. Oh, he's been tugging at my heart. He's been bugging me. I needed to be bugged in my conscience. And she said, this is what happened. So then, I just retired, you know. I just sat back. And this... This cosmetic surgeon who just met divine cosmetic surgeon Jesus, she starts witnessing to the flight attendant about the experience she just had in encountering the man Jesus. And I just smiled and said, go for it. Well, I forgot to preach all my notes here. This is just the introduction of the sermon. I wonder when will I preach my real sermon. Hmm. One more thing. You know, talking about Georgia, I live, I live in Georgia. It's close to Southern Methodist University. I just tell you how only the fragrant incense of Jesus' prayers can make the big difference. Only Niagara Falls of Jesus' prayers can make a difference. Uh, and please listen to the end of this short experience. I was looking for a house in Georgia. Little town of Ringgold. The folks in Ringgold think the people in Atlanta are living in a foreign country. Because this is really, really south. And I enjoy the culture. I've never lived in the south of my life. So when they hear me talk, you know what they say? This guy comes from the north. Referring to me. They think I come from the north because I have a different accent. Well, I don't mind after 9-11 if they think I'm from the north. It's okay. If I tell them I'm from Syria, they would blow their mind. I don't know what they would do. But let them believe I'm from the north. So I was looking for a house to buy when we arrived there some years ago. And there was a house I liked. Spent a few days thinking about it. Came back to look at it again, and there was a man, about six foot four, husky, big, strong, mowing the lawn. So I thought maybe he's the real estate agent, maybe the new owner. So he stopped the mower, said, "Sir, can I help you?" In his southern dialect. 
I said, well, I was looking at this house uh, some time ago. I don't know if it's still for sale. He heard my accent, maybe the way I looked. And he said two things in reaction. He said, <coughs> well, I want you to know that we are a bunch of rednecks around here. You know, redneck? I don't know in California if you have any rednecks, but, <laughs> you know, people who have rednecks, you know. And the second thing he said, because we need no foreigners around here. Two things he said, rednecks and foreigners. Not foreigners, by the way. In the South we say, furnace. Can you say that with me? Furnace. <laughs> now the message was obvious. I wasn't wanted. <gasps> Before I had this engagement with Jesus, praying together and witnessing together. I was diplomatic, played things smoothly. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Why get yourself in trouble with rednecks? Oh, they have enough trouble of my own. <laughs> but now, I was coming to this encounter. By the way, every business encounter can be a spiritual encounter. That's why it makes witnessing so much fun. Every business encounter can become a spiritual encounter. Now, I wasn't alone. I wasn't thinking of my tickle of water. I'm thinking of the Amazon River coming through. It makes a difference, even in the lives of rednecks. He was my greatest prayer partner. He was my greatest witnessing partner. Jesus and me were coming through. So what was my approach? Instead of running away, I took spiritual authority in this man's life. He was three times my size. But Jesus was bigger. And he was with me. It made up for the difference. So let's pretend. You don't mind? Uh, can we pretend you're a redneck? Is it, is it okay? I mean... <laughs> You're the closest. You're the closest. You know what I did? Please don't try this. Unless the Spirit is with you. Don't try this with a trickle of water. Don't try this with your smelly prayer. Don't. He'd smack you in the nose. That's what he would do. So I, I smiled. I said, isn't that wonderful to meet my first redneck friend? <laughs> Now, that's not Philip Saman. If you knew me when I was in high school, I was shy, inhibited, couldn't talk to anybody. But now Jesus made a difference in my life. You see, isn't that wonderful to meet my first redneck friend? The man was startled. He was shocked. Never experienced any ferner like this ferner. All other ferners left him alone. But not this guy. How do you know I'm your friend? Because Jesus told me. That's why. You see, I'm in touch with Jesus. And he told me, you make a good friend. How would Jesus know? Well, the Bible says, people look at the outward appearance. But Jesus looks at the heart. And Jesus looked at your heart, and he told me that you would make a good friend. He looked at me, he said, really? <laughs> <laughs> see, witnessing can be fun too, you know. And so, and so I said, look, let me tell you something. When it comes to colors, you know, be it black or red or white, whatever color it is, the big thing about the color red is the heart of Jesus was bloodied with crimson blood on the cross to make you and I friends. I mean, I mean, can you imagine a greater effort on the part of God but to have the heart of His Son Jesus 
broken and oozing with red, crimson blood. That's the kind of color red I believe in. And this blood of Jesus is strong enough to make a redneck and a foreigner become friends. What do you say to that? The guy was stunned. <laughs> he said, I never thought of it that way before. You're right. I would say amen to that. He said, I'm quoting him. And I tried to release the tension a little bit. I said, well, let me see. Your neck is not that red anyway. <laughs> it just broke the ice. He said, this is true. I should be a better Baptist. I said, amen to that. He was a house painter. I used to paint houses when I was in college. He showed me the colors of his house, how he was painting everything, this new house he bought. I couldn't get rid of the guy. I said, I have a class to teach at Southern. What class is it? I said, in Christian witnessing. He said, well, you're witnessing to me. <laughs> he kept me there for three hours and 15 minutes. I couldn't get rid of this man. <laughs> he became more friends than I even wanted to. <laughs> at the end, he said, God sent you here. Please pray for me. I need to experience Jesus in this real way. I was prejudiced. I, I thought funny thoughts about people. This picture about Jesus' blooded heart with crimson blood, really, really, I cannot escape the thought. Pray for me. I prayed for him, and he gave his life to Christ for the first time. And he hugged me. And finally, he released me. I went to my class and my students, I was late 20 minutes, they waited for me. He said, well, what's the matter? How come you're late? I said, I have a good excuse. What excuse? I said, this is a fresh experience I came from. I made an appeal to my students. I had about 65 students. I made an appeal for them to commit their lives to Christ. And 17 students stood up and gave their lives to Christ. Amen.